Well, good morning. Morning. It is really good to be here. Thanks for having us. We, um, I can speak for both of us to say that it is a true joy to be back in this congregation. Um, we thank the missions team. We thank for the pastoral team for um, inviting us to share the lives that we've already had with you, back with you, and to kind of bring you up to speed on what God used you guys for in our lives to get us to move to Timbuktu. And truly, we wouldn't be standing up here today telling you what we're going to tell you if it weren't for this congregation. Yeah. And if it weren't for people making goodie bags so that I could pass my boards, and if it weren't for people praying for Steve as he was in the ICU. and Anointing it, me with with a washless shampoo. <laughs> if, it, if it weren't for, for people having us over to eat and for Bill and Tiny taking us under their wing, we wouldn't be here. So nope. um, we happen to be the goers now, and, and we're the goers to Africa, but we can't, any of us, do this without you here behind us being the senders. And you've already been, been part of, of sending us to this point, and, and we want to let you know that we need you to be senders for the future. Right. So this is, this is our road to Mali. This is, this is God's call to us to serve him, period. Um, but to serve him, and he started that with us serving locally, serving you, serving the Akron area, the greater Akron area, and then getting the guts to move internationally. And so this is, this is our story. We'll start off with a little bit about us. And um, she wants a remote. <laughs> Um, we'll start with my story. Um, many of you guys, many people here know my story. Um, and uh, because Heather and I have said it in front, of this, in, in front of this audience, but there are many that haven't heard it as well, and I just like to tell it. Um, I, was, uh, I was raised in a nominal, nominal Christian family, and I'd say even a nominal Catholic family. Uh, my, until I was in my mid-20s, I honestly thought that... The Catholics were the Christians, and the Protestants were the atheists. How can that be? Bad logic started on bad principles gives you a bad result. Well, my dad was a Protestant. He was in the military and had a dog tag that said Protestant on it. Okay? So, therefore, I knew that my dad was a Protestant. My mom was a Catholic, and the Catholics had told me that they're Christians. Like, okay, I get that. But my dad never went to church. The only time God, my dad ever used God's name was not in the most positive light. So my dad was protesting something. I figured as much, that's what Protestant means. Therefore, since my dad didn't believe in God, he was protesting something. He was an atheist, and therefore Protestants had to be atheists. Strange logic, but that's where my head was until I was in my mid-20s. I honestly remember, though, at about four years old, having a very deep, intimate relationship with Christ. I didn't really know him, but the gospel says that we do know him. He formed us in, my, in our mom's inmost parts. He made me. So my heart was automatically latched, latched onto him. So I had these intimate prayers with him at night, and, um, and somehow that got muddled up in my teens. Anybody know what that's like? And I walked away completely from God, completely. Well, in about my mid-teens, no, my mid-20s, I, I wanted to get to know who this God was, and I thought that it was kind of Mother Earth, and I thought it was the higher Krishnas, and, and drugs and all that kind of stuff helped that experience, um, but I never really searched out God himself, the true God, and um, until 
he brought a little woman into my life. And it was the first time that anybody had actually, instead of preaching Christ to me, lived Christ in front of me. So I got to see Christ in somebody for the first time in my life. And for me, that was a really powerful witness. She didn't even have to tell me who Christ was. I could see him in her. Well, my story is a little bit different. (laughs) I was raised in a Christian family. I'm an only child. And I remember very distinctly when I was four years old, accepting Jesus into my heart when I was four on the steps of our two-story home. And I did everything I was supposed to. I went to church. I memorized all my Bible verses. I obeyed my parents until I was about 16. And when I was about 16, I did none of those things. I rebelled against my parents. I rebelled against God. I did things that were not pleasing to God. I certainly made choices that were not making God happy. And I certainly wasn't concerned about what God's priority was for my life. And I'm just so thankful that by God's grace, um, he didn't let me go. And when I went to college in California at University of California, San Diego, I got involved with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and it was just so awesome to be a part of a body of believers on campus that I was able to refocus my life and, and bring my life back back on track with what God wanted. And, and so I encourage you, those of you that are in high school and getting ready to pick a college and go to college, get involved with the, with the group on campus that, that is, is a Christian organization, Campus Crusade, Navigators, InterVarsity. It's a very, it's a very important thing to have a, a body of believers to fellowship with. Well, when I was in my mid-twenties, I was shopping at a store called REI, Recreational Equipment Incorporated. And little did I know that it was sort of the unwritten rule that all the single guys... It actually could have been a written rule. It could have been in the policy book, I think. (laughs) That all the single guys that worked at REI used to play rock, paper, scissors. They would Rochambeau for the, the ability to help the single girls that were shopping. And so Steve... One with scissors, apparently, and I said, my, my goodness, God really is sovereign if he can dictate the rest of my life with a scissors <laughs> rochambeau. So he said, you know, hey, um, you want to you wanna do something this weekend? It was a Thursday, and why don't you... Um, why don't we do something tomorrow? It's Friday night. I said, oh, I can't. I have Bible study. Okay. Well, then how about on Saturday? Well, I went to a, a big church that had several services, including a Saturday night service. So I would go to church on Saturday night and then come back in the morning to work in the nursery. So I said, no, I can't go out on Saturday night. I'll be at church. And he said, oh, well, then if you're at church on Saturday night, that means you could do something on Sunday. I said, well, no, I'll be at church. And he said, well, then how about on Sunday night? Well, I was going to the Sunday evening service that night as well with one of my friends that had agreed to come. And so I said, no, can't do that. I'm going to church. <laughs> and so he quickly realized that he probably wasn't going to be able to see me unless he went to church. And so um, I did do a little bit of missionary dating, which is not advocated. <laughs> not advocated. Do as I do, not as, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> well, it was, it, was, it was her missionary dating. I think God said, all right, well, if you're not going to work with what if you're not going to do what I want you to do, I'll, I'll work with what I've got. And then he dropped me in her lap. Well, Heather brought me to church, and, um, and I got to, to, to go to the to toddler room with her and actually go to service with her and go to Bible study with her. And it was the first time, I know I have hair in that picture. It was the first time in my life, many of you have never seen hair on me. I know. Um, the first time in my life that, that, that I realized that the Bible was actually something to read. And that the Bible actually had instructions in it. It wasn't a storybook. And God started working in my heart. And it was one Sunday night. 
I couldn't even tell you what the sermon topic was, but for me, it was the first time that I actually understood sin. I understood that concept that there was sin out there, that I, indeed, was guilty of that sin, and lots of it. And not only that, that I was actually accountable for that. God was going to hold me accountable for the sin in my life. And that devastated me until I heard that there was this Christ guy, that there was Jesus himself, who had actually paid the penalty specifically for me. And if it was just me, he would have done it all over again. But it wasn't. It was all of us. And I was stoked that I could now enter into God's presence, that this sin wasn't going to hold me down. And I freely accepted Christ's sacrifice for me. And Heather says the next day I was changed. I still looked like a hippie, but I didn't act like one. I just bought Steve a button that says, another dopeless hope fiend, as opposed to another hopeless dope fiend. <laughs> right. Okay, well, that's us. That's actually on our engagement night. So that's Steve with... 16 years ago. That's Steve with hair, and it's not fair, because he blames it on marriage, because that's right before we got married. But the, the, the unfair thing is that we started medical school a year later, and so I don't really think it's fair to blame it on me rather than medical school. And I was school, 30, so... so. <laughs> All right. So God saw fit. We did. We did. Uh, both went to medical school in Pomona, California, and then God, for whatever reason, saw fit to move us from Pomona, Los Angeles, California, to Toledo, Ohio. Now that is God's sense of humor. So we took our little moving van and moved from California all the way over to Toledo, Ohio. And so we kind of wondered, really, God. Um, you know, what, what could possibly the point, be the point in you moving us to Toledo? We were actually only in Toledo for a year. Um, we didn't really get, get involved in a solid church body. The church we were going to had some problems, and, and, um, and so we, we actually didn't, um, didn't really make very many friends, except for one guy. There was a doctor at the hospital named Dr. Joe Dobson, not focus on the family Joe Dobson, different Joe Dobson, and, um, he and his wife are not Christians, but they befriended us. And they'd take us to dinner, and we really became very good friends with Joe and his wife, Elliot. And um, when, uh, when we moved for residency, he moved down to the Carolinas, and we, and we kept in touch. And so that's all I'll say about him right now. But just kind of tuck, tuck Dr. Joe Dobson away in the back of your head for a little bit later. So we moved to Akron, Ohio for residency, and there's me way up at the top taking care of a really sick baby in the, in the ICU, and I worked at Akron Children's Hospital, and I think I've probably seen many of you. <laughs> and I worked at Akron, Akron General Medical Center, and I know I've seen many of you, <laughs> and, um, and that was a privilege itself. And um, so we, um, once we were getting through training, we, we kind of thought, yeah, medicine's okay, but let's see what we can do about missions. Let's get involved in some missions. And, and so we contacted Samaritan's Purse. That's um, Fr- uh, Franklin Graham's organization, the medical arm of Samaritan's Purse. Which I cannot recommend highly enough. And we said, hey, we're a couple doctors. We have a month off. Where would you like to send us? So? So we went to Guimaca, Honduras for a month. And there's a little fireball showing you where Guimaca, Honduras is there in Central America. And so we, were, we just had such a blessed time there, um, not just doing medicine, and, um, and not just living cross-culturally, which was an experience in itself, but also doing ministry in a medical setting. Right. It was the first time, I think, that we'd realized that, yeah, we liked medicine, but we really loved the idea of sharing our faith dynamically in another culture where people are wondering, why are you here? And they ask you that, and you have this incredible opportunity to share with them this call to serve internationally. 
So this is an open-air church in Weimaka, Honduras, and just the most beautiful setting to worship um, that, that we've ever seen. It's just yeah. this gorgeous little chapel. And, and as you can see, this is a, a little girl that I treated for something. You can see the little the bubbles on her leg because I like to blow bubbles. It's my signature. But Holly had um, <laughs> bubbles on her, I think, for probably three months in a row. Um, but most importantly, she's holding a little, a little tiny Spanish Bible that we had given her. And so that's sort of that month-long experience solidified to us. We really, yes, we want to do medicine, but we really want to do evangelism through medicine. And right. so at that time we said, well, we're still in training. I was still in my residency. And, and so we said, well, let's, let's find out a little bit more about, uh, a little bit about missions in general. And so there's this great um, medical missions conference that's held down in Louisville. I don't even know if I still say that right. Not Louisville, but Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. Louisville. And so um, that's a fabulous medical conference for anyone in the medical profession, and it's held every November. And so we went to that conference in November of 2006, and uh, we were fortunate enough, or at least Steve was fortunate enough, to hear Dr. David Thompson speak at that at uh, that medical conference, and and he's a missionary surgeon in Gabon, West Africa, and he the title of his sermon was called "Give It Away," and his point was challenging each and every person there. What are you not giving to the Lord that He wants you to? Is it time? Is it money? Is it your career? Is it your life? Is it your priorities? What are you not giving to the Lord that He wants you to give? And so. He's, he's, he can speak very frankly about that, this because to the left of the picture of Dr. David Thompson is a picture of his father, and both his mother and father were killed. They were martyred as missionaries in Vietnam during the Tet Offensive in the 60s. And so he was speaking from his heart for what he knows to have lost his mother and father, to have given away for them to be sacrificially giving as missionaries of their lives as missionaries. And so he does not take this lightly. And when he says, give it away, challenging you, what are you really not giving to the Lord? Well, what had happened was we went with another couple that were physicians, so another husband and wife that were both physicians, and I had to fly back and work a shift in the ER that I couldn't get out of, and so I was not at this sermon. So Steve comes back with the other missionary couple and um, says to me, well, we're doing international medical missions. We're going to quit our jobs and move. <laughs> note, to, note to the men, don't make big family decisions without talking to your wife first. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. So I said, really? <laughs> so he had brought the, the sermon with him, and so he you know, gave it to me, and I listened to it a couple times. And it is a very convicting sermon, but God really needed to speak to me in a little bit of a different way. And I, I was reading through the Bible, and sort of plugging away at reading through the Bible at a much slower pace than, than I would have wanted. But um, a couple months after that conference, the, the place that God had me was in Second Samuel, and I was just reading through the Bible. And so I was reading Second Samuel, and, and this is in Second Samuel chapter 24, and it's, it's when King David has sinned by counting the fighting men. And he was getting too caught up in numbers, and he was not trusting in the Lord. And so for him, it was a sin to count to count the fighting men. And so in doing this, God was angry. And so God made the decision, I'm going to start killing the Israelites. And so the Israelites were dying because of David's sin of counting the fighting men and not having enough trust in the Lord. So David realizes this is my fault and the people of Israel are dying because of my sin. And so I need to to repent and make a sacrifice to the Lord. And so this is in verse... um, 
verse 18, and, and it says uh, in chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 18, On that day Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up, and the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord, that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Aruna gives all this to the king, King David. Aruna also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna, No. I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And to me, that was so incredibly powerful. It, it just spoke to me, what am I doing that's costing something? Nothing. We were, we were giving our money, but at the time it wasn't money. It is now, but at the time it wasn't money. And so... We're tithing, we're giving to missionaries, we're supporting missionaries, but what, are, what am I really doing that is sacrificing to the Lord? And so that's how God spoke to me and got me on board with the plan to, to do international missions because I, I, was, I had to be willing to give my career to him as well. So, but in light of the Great Commission, we knew that we start in Jerusalem. So we figured, let's see what's going on in Jerusalem. And, and fortunately, at that point in time, um, Vesper Lake was forming its missions committee, so reforming it. And uh, we got together and started talking about what we could do as a missions committee to get involved locally. So there's a picture of the Lighthouse of Hope, and that's Miss Joyce Berge there who heads up the, the dinners every Friday nights and throughout so the week. everybody here that's been involved in Lighthouse, raise your hand in some way, shape, or form. Look at that. <laughs> How cool is that? And so... In case you can't see, tell that Steve and, and me, Steve, even with his little ball spot over there. But, um, Astute kid. <laughs> but just really realizing what an impact um, there can be made in the community and what impact can be made um, just sharing the Bible with kids that might otherwise not be able to hear it. And so that's me and my witch's hat giving a Halloween le- lesson, talking about what the Bible really has to say about witches and what the Bible really has to say about Halloween and, and uh, doing a Noah's Ark. And there's Frank. Everybody knows Frank. The second one is Good News Club. And Good News Club has been another huge blessing. Good News Clubs are run by Child Evangelism Fellowship. Raise your hand here if you're involved in Good News Club. Raise your hand if you're involved in CEF and Good News Clubs. (laughs) Awesome. If you are Good News Club. Right. And um, we've had the the blessing of being involved in this club for three years. Mm -hmm. And um, last year we had uh, 111 kids or about 85 kids on each week come every Tuesday to hear God's word. Absolutely incredible. And this is in a public school. So it's, it's just the most amazing ministry to, to have a, a, a captive audience of children, 85 every week, uh, to hear a Bible lesson and to give an opportunity to give their lives to the Lord. And so um, I would just in- encourage you to think about that. Tuesdays, 2.30 to 4. And so there's me in my Pharaoh hat teaching a, a Joseph lesson. You know, you got to do something for entertainment. <laughs> we, um, we then said, okay, we, there's so many 
we're willing to go, but where does that, what does that mean for us? And so there's so much need, there's so much medical need internationally. How do you make a decision? And so we had an opportunity to go to Haiti with Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy. They, they go on a missions trip with the, the high school students between their junior and senior year. And so Wanamath, Haiti is way down there in the Caribbean. And this is pre-earthquake that we went to Haiti. And um, so we went with 45 high school students from Cuyahoga Valley Christian Academy. And we're not sure what was the goal of the trip. To, to, what were the mission trip? Was the mission the children, the, 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 the teenagers, or was the mission actually doing medicine and evangelism? <laughs> we're not, I'm kidding. It was a very good group of, yeah, group of high school kids. kids. But Haiti is just very interesting in that Haiti is really sort of Africa in our back, backyard. And, and in some respects, the poverty of Haiti is is significantly more than the poverty of Africa. What's striking about this picture is these are eight and nine-year-old boys that are buck naked, and it's not because they just got out of the shower. They don't own any clothing. Or if they do know clothing, it's kept inside because they don't want to mess it up so they have something to wear to go to school. Yeah. Lots of very chronic skin diseases we take for granted. When you get a little cut here, you know, you can clean it off, wash it with you know, some clean water and put a little antibiotic ointment on it. And no such thing as clean water in Haiti. And so we saw a lot of um, pretty serious skin diseases. There's us carrying all our stuff to the clinic. You don't understand the implications and the value of a fan until you <laughs> you've been Until in. it's 110 degrees with 95% humidity. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> so we're carrying our precious fans and our medical supplies to the, the clinic in Haiti. And um, Haiti doesn't have a clean water supply, and so um, people eat and, and ba- breathe in the same river system that has the sewer system, basically. Right. So um, it's not a very clean environment. Um, Malnut- malnutrition is rampant. Um, there's no protein source. The trees are gone. The soil's, denu- the soil's denuded, so nothing grows. So pretty much all they get is a little bit of rice and, and, and calories, but no real substance to grow with. So we were working at a clinic just for the week that we were there that was a three-story building that had been, had been built to operate as a hospital but was only functioning as a clinic for a week out of the year for the last few years because they had nobody to staff the clinic. And so we said, well, why, why don't you have anybody to staff the clinic? And they said, well, we just can't find any doctors to come. And so um, all we really need are a couple of doctors. Well, Steve and I looked at each other. We're, we're, we can do we're math. Two. We're a couple of doctors. Simple math. And so, um, you know, is that is that where God would have us go? And we had really prayed about it, and we felt like, well, maybe this is God opening the door for that. So we actually made plans to move to Haiti, and uh, that was in 2007. And so we um, we made plans for for the next year to phase out of our jobs and, and move to Haiti. And then we met the American board for that mission agency in Haiti here in Kentucky at the conference the next year so and had a, had a meeting with them. Yeah, so we're sitting there talking to them and going over the budget for the hospital and kind of going through them line item, and I'm not an accountant by any means, but I didn't see any line item for pastoral care. None. So, okay, well, question. I raised my hand like a good student. How are, we, how are we doing pastoral care for the people that come through the hospital? They kind of looked at each other and went, well, uh, we figured we'd invite the local churches. We said, oh, okay, which ones? And they said, well, any of them, all of them, because we don't want to exclude anybody. So you're trusting your entire organization to be discipled by church organizations that you don't even know about and let alone aren't even going to sift through to make sure that the word is accurate. So we, we posed the question at that point in time, 
What is your goal as a missions agency for this hospital? Is it to improve the health care of Haiti, or is it to tell the people of Haiti about Jesus? And they said, hmm, easy, tell, to improve the health care of Haiti. So we just looked at each other and said, well, you know, this is not going to be the right organization for us because we don't want to just be a philanthropic people that are, are coming in to cure people's physical ailments and not address their spiritual health. And so we said, I'm sorry, but we're not the right people to staff your hospital. Right. And, and so then we realized, wow, there are a lot of really philanthropic organizations that are all about helping the poor people of X country, helping the poor people of Haiti, helping the poor people of Peru, helping the poor people of Malawi. And, but they don't care about their spiritual health. They only care about their physical health. Right. It can be said that it doesn't do any good to send healthier people to hell. Right. Right? <laughs> And Mark 16, 15 says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so it doesn't say go heal everybody. You can preach the gospel through healing. But, but our goal is to share the gospel with everyone. So we spent three years, two and a half years, on a search for a missions organization. So we made a bunch of survey trips. The first one was to Shell Ecuador with HCJB. HCJB is a radio, radio program down in Ecuador but they also have a fairly significant medical ministry. And they that, have a, a little radio program on um, 100.3 as well, so oh, okay. it, locally. So there's Ecuador down there. And um, Shell Ecuador might sound familiar to some of you because that's the site of the Mission Aviation Fellowship Group for the five missionaries that were martyred in Shell Ecuador. Uh, Jim Elliott probably being the, the most famous of those, also Nate Saint and three others missionaries that were killed that's the, that's the saint's house. Yep. So it's kind of like missionary Mecca. You know, wow, we're going missionary to... Missionary Disneyland. See, yeah. <laughs> that's the hospital there in, um, in Shell, Ecuador. Um, way up top there is a, a modern-day picture of a mission aviation plane at the station there. And then right below it is a picture of part, some of the pieces of Nate Saint's plane that they were able to resurrect from the river and was used to make the movie The End of the Spear. And then over there on the right is me with my spear and my blowgun. You can't go to Ecuador without coming back with a spear and a blowgun. So we smuggled those through customs. <laughs> um, second trip was with the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism to Togo, West Africa. There's Togo, in case you didn't know. We didn't know. The problem with, um, with Shell Ecuador is it was primarily a family practice-run hospital, and we're not family practitioners. And they said, well, we really don't want to introduce sub subspecialties into the area because then they're going to get used to specialists. So we'd really rather you didn't come here. We went, okay, that's a clunk closed door. <laughs> so here we are in, in Togo. And Togo just wasn't where God wanted us either. There's T Steve with his trusty cobra. It is dead. <laughs> One of the missionary kids killed it for A heroic <laughs> nine-year-old killed yeah. it for me. <laughs> yeah. But um, there's, there's me taking care of a few uh, triplets. And, you know, for, for some reason, African women are very predisposed to have twins and triplets. And so um, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But that is one of the issues that makes health care so difficult in Africa. Um, so then we wonder, well, how did you end up going to Mali? Because that's nowhere near Ecuador. <laughs> it's a little bit near Togo. But um, God, then here's Mali in the African map. So there it is, smack dab in West Africa. Totally landlocked. Lots of... We joke, there's lots of sand. But... Lots of beach, just no ocean. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, if you remember way back in Toledo, Dr. Joe Dobson, so this is now eight years, eight years prior to this, 
um, we had kept in touch. And so he was pediatric emergency medicine at the University of South Carolina. And so he had said, well, Heather, when you're done with your fellowship, you know, we know you hate the snow because we hated the snow together in Toledo. And so why don't you come down and work for me? It'll be great. And so that was kind of our plan. We had planned before that to, to move in and he would be our boss again and it would be great. Well, he called me right in the middle of all this and he said, Heather, you have, you've really got to come for an interview because I just lost one of my best pediatricians. His name is Brett, and he and his wife just decided to go do medical missions over in Africa. Now, remember, Joe's not a Christian. And he said, you know, so everybody's so sad that Brett left because he was just the greatest guy to work with. But I told everybody, don't worry. Brett may have left, but Steve and Heather are coming. And if you liked Brett, you're going to love Steve and Heather. In fact, Steve and Brett are basically clones of each other. They both wear Hawaiian shirts. They both wear flip-flops and Birkenstocks. They both have goatees. They're both religious. And so I said, oh, Joe, I'm so sorry, but we're Steve, Steve and Brett are so much more alike than you could ever imagine because we too are going to be medical missionaries and we're not coming for an interview. And so he just said, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Well, you guys really are so similar. I think I should just give you their information. And so Joe gave us the information for Brett and Sherry McLean, a fa- the family that he knew in Africa. Right. Well, We were then in the midst of all of this looking for a missions organization. So after our trip to Togo, we went down to SIM headquarters, which are in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is serving in missions, or Sudan Interior Missions is formerly known. Mm -hmm. It's an interdenominational missions organization that has a very good medical arm in in all over the world. And so we were at a sort of getting to know you weekend and and investigating that mission. And because we were down in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, the McLean family that we'd been sort of emailing because of Joe, but we didn't really know them, were home on furlough giving birth to their third son in Raleigh, North Carolina. So we thought, well, we're down here in Charlotte. Let's just swing back through Raleigh and put a name to a face and say hi to these people that we've never met before. And so we did. Well, we walk in the door, and there's a pair of size 41 Birkenstocks standing right there. Brett's wearing Hawaiian shirt. He has a goatee. You can hear the angels go, (laughs) He does have a little bit more hair, but... (laughs) He does have more hair, but he's also 10 years my younger. (laughs) But we just had such an an incredibly blessed time with that family and realized immediately that we were on the same evangelistic page. Um, We talked about how we didn't want to work so much that we're so overwhelmed with the medical work that we don't have time to evangelize. Uh, One of the other pediatricians that came to the hospital um, had sent an email saying, let's hold each other accountable if we ever become just pill pushers. Let's say now we're going to call each other in carpet and say, all you're doing is pill pushing. You're not evangelizing. And let's hold us accountable to the evangelism end of it. So we really felt like that was the right place for us. And they happened to be working at the hospital in Kuchala, Mali. That's a new hospital that has been, that's just being built even as we speak. And he's the, pedi- the first pediatrician to staff it. So we, when we were talking to them about missions organization, we'd actually thought about the, the Christian Missionary Alliance, but... You've got to be in a Christian Missionary Alliance church to be part of their Great Commission Fund, which is a, a large pool of money that they send their missionaries with. Well, when the stock market did its, what it does every 50 years, um, the pool of money kind of dried up, and they thought, well, how can we actually raise funds to get physicians to the field? Well, let's see if our physicians would be willing to raise their own support. 
Well, at that point in time, Heather and I wanted to raise our own support. We think that there's a, a huge benefit from having this relationship with the people that are financially sending you and praying for you in the mission field. So we looked at Brett and said, well, we're willing to raise our own support. In fact, we want to raise our own support. And he said, well, then why don't you apply to the Christian Missionary Alliance? And come and work with us. And so, so we did. Yeah, and so we were approved in a couple of months. And, and somehow so... they still approved us. <laughs> I know. So Molly, we didn't know where Molly was either. Everybody would say, Molly, do they really need missionaries in Hawaii? No, no, not Maui, Molly. Oh, Bali. No, no, Bali, not the South Pacific. This is in Africa. Oh, Malawi. No, no, Molly. Hmm, never heard of it. Yeah. yeah, neither had we. So <laughs> so Molly's that big purple country up there, and here's a little bit of a bigger picture. And we'll be in Kuchala, which is right down at the bottom of that straight line down there. And for those of you that want a little tiny bit of a geography lesson. Um, Has anybody ever heard the term, dude, I ain't going there. That's out in the middle of Timbuktu. Well, Timbuktu is actually in Mali. And so Timbuktu is in the northern part of Mali. So we're really enjoying telling people, oh, we'll be living just a couple hundred miles south of Timbuktu. So you do never know where God is going to call you. <laughs> so we'll skip through a couple of these things. We're, we're going to tell you a little bit more about where we're going tonight. We're going to bait you a little bit to make you come back to, for tonight. Yeah. Um, the, the predominant uh, religion in, in Mali is the religion of, of Muslim and the religion of Islam. And so um, 92% of the people there are followers of Muhammad and have not heard the gospel. And um, there's a, a picture of a local mosque. looks a little bit different than a mosque we'd see here, but, uh, but a mosque nonetheless in the town of Kuchala. The Alliance has been in, in Kuchala for a good 50-plus years doing the hard labor, the physical labor that, that took many, many lives um, sacrificially. But because of them, preaching up and down the Niger... Um, a small Christian base has been formed, but more importantly, um, equally important, strong relationships have been built uh, within the local population that have given the alliance a great amount of respect. And sometimes you think as a missionary, I, nothing that I'm doing is making a difference. And you can just feel like you're plodding on and on and on, and nothing you can do is making a difference. But the reason that this hospital has been so overwhelmingly accepted in this predominantly Muslim population is because Christian missionaries have gone before us to pave the way, that, to open the doors for a Christian hospital to then come move in and be overwhelmingly accepted. And so actually... Um, it started with about six dispensaries. Uh, throughout the years, and, and which then led to us building the hospital. Yeah. But the reason they put a hospital there is that Mali is a, indeed a very, very dangerous place to live. And um, the statistics in Mali are terrible. One in four children die before they're five years old. And as a mother, 10% um, of women will die in a child, childbirth-related um, medical problem in Mali. And so that's overwhelmingly terrible statistics for being a woman or a child. And right. so... Um, so this hospital is currently only a hospital for women and children. Groundbreaking was in 2003. Lots of construction crews have visited. Um, in, in, an incredible influx of local dignitaries that were eager to see this hospital open because it's the only real 19th century, 20th century medical care available for probably 500 miles. So maybe 500,000 people, this is their access to care if they have no funded, no money. So there's a picture of the hospital, and it's really a, a beautiful facility. We feel a little bit spoiled, actually. Yeah. There's an, an overview of it from, the, from a little bit higher up. Um, this will be our local Walmart, so it will be a little bit different than down the street. Um, a typical house in Mali. But um, 
I think, I think what we, you know, it'll be a little bit different cooking over an open fire. <laughs> I'm not very good about cooking at a stove right now, so open fire should be challenging. Um, not very many cars, you know, we'll, we'll probably maybe have a motorcycle. I don't know if we'll have our very own donkey, but probably not. Um, I've always wanted a burro. <laughs> There's harmaton winds. They're called harmaton winds that come through the Sahara for a couple months of the year. And imagine what it does to your lungs, let alone your computer. Yeah. Um, some of the, the local products are sorghum and, and millet um, grains that they grow there. Here's a picture of the hospital staff. And you can pretty much pick out the missionary doctors and nurses in there. And we hope that our faces will be there in a little over a year. <laughs> There's a picture of the inside of the hospital with the obligatory mosquito nets and and um, there's a picture of uh, Dan Nesselrode, who's the primary OBGYN surgeon that's there. And, you know, part of our goal, we don't want to just pick up America and plop America down into Africa and say, look how great we are and look what we can do. The two physicians on the right are two Malian doctors that Dan Nesselrode is teaching how to do OBGYN care so that they can go back to their villages and provide OBGYN care for the, for the people of their villages. Right. One of our big needs is we need, we need uh, teaching-level nursing staff to come over and teach our Malians nursing. Um, they said, no, we don't want doctors doing this. <laughs> We'd mess it all up. So we need nurses to come over and actually teach nursing to our locals. Another thing that this hospital is able to do, among many other things, is um, babies that are born a little bit early tend to not be able to be big enough to suck very well. So if they can't suckle, they can't get the calories they need to grow and often die. And so one thing this hospital can do is put a little feeding tube up through the nose, down into the stomach, and feed them the milk that they need until they get big enough to, to suckle on their own, and then they can go home. The beauty of that is the babies are in the hospital for two, three, four, five weeks, and so that's two, three, four, five weeks that we have to develop a relationship with them, to visit, to visit with them every day, to talk to them about Christ every day. And so it's just an awesome opportunity. We'll talk a little bit more about this tonight, but there's lots of medical care that we do. But most importantly is the spiritual care. Pastor Simeon is, um, is our lead pastor on staff at the hospital. He was, he, I believe he was born and raised in Kuchala and, um, and is, a, is a believer, obviously. Well, Pastor Simeon's job is equally as important as anybody's job there. Uh, but we put the pastoral care on par with the physical care. It's not an adjunct. It's not if he gets to it. It's, it's, an, it's as an important part of the chart as their physical part of the chart. And um, he has the blessing of being able to preach to about 600 women a week before, as they line up in the morning before starting clinics. He presents the gospel to them. He visits them in the hospital on rounds and actually gets to share Christ with them in their own language, much more fluent than I'll ever be in Bambara. Right. And so we're, our hope is that we won't be so busy that we won't be able to do evangelism ourselves, but we are rest assured that the spiritual health of the right. patient is being cared for as well as at the same right. time as we're providing We're not care. abdicating our role to do evangelism, we're, we're, he's, but now he's an intentional part of the evangelistic team. Right. So this has been a very important Bible verse for us as we, as we quit our jobs and sold our house and, <laughs> and made plans to move to Mali. And, and it's Romans ten fourteen to 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And so, you know, we're just so fortunate that God has given us the privilege of being goers now. But for years, we've been senders. And we've had such good missionaries like the Sobies. It just make us feel so much a part of their ministry 
in the Ukraine. And so even though we're, we've been stuck here in Akron, we feel so much a part of their ministry. Especially in the, since in the, we're living in their basement currently. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so we just want to just want to let you know that that you are every bit a part of our ministry as we are being the goers. You as the senders are just so much a part. You may as you're in Africa if we're in Africa. A lot of people have said, are you crazy? There's all these horrible things that can kill you. There's mosquitoes with malaria and dengue fever, and there's those horrible harmaton winds that clog up your computer and your lungs, and, and there's you know king cobras that can bite you and all these horrible poisonous things. And, and actually, we had a pretty nice life until we decided to do international missions, until that, that decision. And as soon as we made that decision to do, to, to do international missions and, and to be sold out for the Lord... We've had a lot of persecutions, and I know many of you know that Steve was in the ICU and very nearly died when we got back from our trip in, in Togo. And, and so a lot of people said, see, you shouldn't go to Africa. You'll catch some horrible African disease and die. But, um, you know, Satan has interesting ways of messing with us. And aside from, from Steve's illness, we had a, a long-awaited pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage. And I've had a, a long journey of infertility ever since then that has, that has so far culminated in us not being parents here on this earth. And it made us realize that Satan doesn't, doesn't want us to be doing this. And he doesn't want us to be, be furthering the gospel anywhere, here in Akron or in Mali. Right. And um, it tells us in Mark 10, 29-30, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And so he promises us eternal life ultimately, but also in this age, along with other things that you're giving up, persecutions. And so, it, in a way, it's sort of validating when, right. you, when you have the problems that you have. But, but by God's grace, um, Steve didn't die. Clearly. And, and by God's grace, we... we uh, That's a brain damage, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and by God's grace, we, we, Lord willing, have the opportunity to adopt a baby that will be born in October in New Mexico. And so, um, God has been faithful and hasn't let us go. And this Bible verse has really probably been speaking volumes to us. I will both lie down and sleep in peace, for only you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And so no matter where we are, if we're in God's will, it's his job to keep us safe or not. It's yeah. his job to, to give us peace. And, and so we can lie down and sleep in peace, yeah. um, be it here in Akron, be it in Mali, Africa, knowing that it is God's job to keep us safe if we're where he wants us to be. Right. We know it's not going to be easy, but we're walking by faith and not by sight. We'll so. give you a quick rundown of our timeline here. We've been, we'll take like 30, 45 more seconds. Um, we went through a tropical medicine course in, in Morgantown, West Virginia, and spent eight weeks there learning about all those things that, uh, that will bite you, sting you, give you all sorts you, of you. Right, illnesses. <laughs> and and uh, so we completed that. We're getting ready to leave Thursday for three weeks in Colorado Springs at an organization called Missions Training International to learn how to play well in the sandbox, as I call it. I think that's what it's, it's going to be. It's formally called cross-cultural missions. But... Right. <laughs> so learning, learning how to adapt to this new culture that we're headed into, which we know is not going to be easy. 
Yeah, so we can certainly use your prayer for that, adapting even to the to the culture in France, let alone to the, the yeah. culture in Africa. So yeah. we do that, and then, Lord willing, um, the the baby that is to be born in October is due October 10th, and so we'll head over to Albuquerque, New Mexico, to be there for her birth. And then we are driving back from New Mexico to Ohio for our post-adoption social work visit, then back from Ohio to New Mexico to finalize the adoption, and then from New Mexico to Chicago to apply for a French visa for the baby (laughs) at the regional French embassy, which for us of Ohio is Chicago. So we said, what if she won't sleep when we're in France because we won't have a car and all she's going to do is drive for the first two months of her life? (laughs) So we can use your prayers for for paperwork. And then um, Mali is a French-speaking African country, and so we need to learn French before we can go to Mali. Once we get there, our patients... And, and the people that have been un, that have not been educated in Mali speak a tribal language called Bambara, but you can't get a translator from English to Bambara because the, the educated country speaks French. So you have to know French in order to go to Mali so that you can get a translator into from French to Bambara because there's nobody that can translate from English to Bambara. So two so, languages in the next year and a half. Right. So we moved to France in, in January 2012. For, we're there for a whole year and then to Mali, Africa in January of 2012. So So we'll share with you a couple of our prayer requests before we close. We do praise God for selling our house in this market. It was absolutely incredible that we were able to get out from underneath that. Um, We've had uh, some significant support changes come down from home office that are are positive, but we're also, now we're waiting for baby girl. We're also raising additional support, part of which is her, um, which is a joy. Um, We are... Certainly, understandably fearful of learning French in Bambara within a year and a half and uh, being able to communicate effectively so we don't take out somebody's kidney when they have earache, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the adoption in New Mexico in October and just for smooth paperwork for that and, um, and also our student loan funding from Project Medsend. Um, praise God. Project Medicine is an awesome organization that has agreed to take over our medical school loans while we go on the mission field. And so we could not be going if it weren't for Project Medicine. Nope. And so they're having a, a huge financial crunch right now as well. So just pray for their finances that they can be able to fund us and for other people. We and thank then, you. Yeah, we're so thankful that, uh, that, that, that there are, are, are many that have not taken over the ministries. They've already been in the ministries that we've been involved in or just continuing to run with it. But as two people leave, they need more than two to help them continue. So I know that uh, PJ and Barb would love to talk to you about how to get involved locally, and Brad, in, in absolutely wonderful missions. And, uh, Tuesdays, 2.30 to 4. Yeah, Tuesdays and Fridays. <laughs> and, um, and then last but certainly not least, Steve's family, he's the only Christian in his family. And so it's been a pretty rough road with his family recently, particularly now when we're talking about taking a, a grandberry baby with us to Africa. And so just struggles with the dynamics of his family and, and that... They just don't get it because they they don't get the call to missions because they're they're not they're not saved so they don't understand that that desire that we have so just pray for them that that this would be a witness to them and and that somehow God would work work in their hearts through our leaving. Thank you. We'd like to thank Stephen Heather for being here with us and we just want to say a prayer over them as the praise team comes forward and we can uh, sing and praise God for what He's doing uh, both in their lives and in the world. And, uh, and just, uh, just let's lift them up in prayer that God will watch over them and their, their continued missions.
But gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that before time began, Lord, that you thought of history, you thought of this, this world and the plight of man, you thought of everything that we would face, Lord, and uh, you prepared a way of redemption through your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And we thank you for the message that it is about a person, it is about your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And I thank you that Steve and Heather have lived a, a life that reflects your Son, Jesus Christ, in the world that you've placed them in, Lord. We thank you that they are a living testimony of here, there, and everywhere to share the, the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. And we just thank you for their time that they spent today, Lord. We thank you for uh, calling them uh, as children throughout their life, Lord, uh, forgiving them and, and working in them and, and guiding them together, Lord, to bring them to the place that they are today, that they could stand before us and and just declare the truth that you are sending them to Mali, Lord. We just pray over this next year, Lord, with all the travels, with the adoption, with the, the language studies, Lord, that uh, you will just continue to give them the grace and the strength that they need. Watch over them, Lord, as the enemy will be active. Lord, to, um, to just hold up them from, from paperwork to, to sickness to discouragement, Lord, we pray that your spirit will go before them, protect them, and wrap them up, Lord. And we just pray um, that uh, as a church that we can support them in their prayers and that we can lift them up, and uh, Lord, and send them financially that they might be able to go and spread the word, uh, Lord, knowing that we are partnering together, co-laborers with you, Lord. We do pray, uh, Lord, as you are the Lord of the harvest, Lord, and you care of all the people around the world who don't know you, and Lord, you want missions to go and Lord we're thank, thankful that we could be a part of that today at our pig roast and we just uh, pray that you'll be abundant and graceful Lord today as we uh, as we send your people into your world and we pray this in Jesus name Amen, Amen.